The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. I want to talk about the CBA because there's not that many people who really understand it. And you working for Spotrack and you being around the league for as long as you are, you were the first person that came to mind. So thankfully, we already had this interview scheduled. <laughs> um, when you took the time to absorb the main changes in the CBA, what was your first overall reaction? I think they made it so that the middle class of the league is going to have some significant advantages in acquiring players. They made it harder for the most expensive teams to acquire players, but they also gave them avenues to keep players that they already have. If I think the problem with a so-called hard cap was always going to be, hey, if we're the Warriors, because that's the team everybody uses for as an example, and we've drafted really well and developed really well. Why should we get penalized and have to lose guys? And I think the NBA basically, along with the NBPA, said, you know what? You're kind of right, but we still can't have you trading for everybody under the sun and signing a bunch of guys and that. So we're going to put in some limiters on you that'll make it hard. And it's not just the Warriors. The Clippers are in that boat. There's a handful of other teams that'll probably be in that position over the next few years. But it's we're going to make it harder on you to do get new players that don't come through the draft and through minimum signings and the like. And then for the uh, middle-class teams, we're going to give you a whole bunch of ways that you can go get players that maybe you didn't have available to you in the past. So I think they're just trying to increase that parity around the league. There's a lot of people who think that this is a, these are seismic changes that we're not going to really fully understand for years to come. In your opinion, how monumental is it? I think they're pretty big. I, I think we're going to see some teams. I, the kind of buzzword right now is what are the unintended consequences, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's always you get into this stuff, you feel really good about where it is. And then one thing we know that these teams do, they hire really smart people who find ways to work around all the rules they put in place. That's a big part of it. I always say, you know, the, the CBA is a agreement to make it fair. And then it's people's jobs to find ways to work around that inherent fairness, to give themselves advantages, to find loopholes, all those things. So I think what's going to happen is it is going to take years for this to fully play out because it's not like one, all these changes are coming in immediately next season. It, some of these things they've already said, they're going to be phased in over a period of time. And I think that's fair to the teams because 
if we stick with that Warriors example, well, they've already built the roster they've built. It's not necessarily fair to say, all right, hey, all the tools you had, you lose them all right now. Now you've got to kind of reset and restart right from square one. So I think we'll see some phasing in of some of these these changes. I think the other part of it, too, is we got to see how teams react to these things because teams are going to make different decisions than they might have otherwise. We may see teams say, you know what, once we're up and over this second tax apron, which I think sounds silly, so I'm calling it the super tax because I think that sounds way cooler. Yeah. Um, so once you're over the super tax, you're going to be in a spot where, wow, you know, we really got to resign our own guys because we have no other way to get talent. Or I think the other option is we're in a position where some teams are going to say, all right, you know what, we got to let player X go because we got to get our books in order. And the only way is to start shedding some salary. So we're going to let him go. And you're going to just see differences in, you know, uh, roster building and those kind of things. I think drafting well, developing well is going to have more importance than it's maybe ever had in the league because having uh, one cost control players is going to be huge and those things. But these again are changes. We're going to, it's going to take us probably three, four years right into the middle of this uh, six, seven year agreement to really start to feel the full effect of. It was reported that there were like hundreds of proposals throughout the time. What was the NBA itself, the league trying to achieve with these changes? And, and what was the MBPA trying to achieve with the changes? Yeah, the good news is it seems like they went into this on roughly the same page with a lot of the stuff. The first big thing that they were really good with was the revenue split. That it's, it's essentially a 50-50 split. It can range from 49 to 51, but it's essentially 50-50. Once you're good there, that makes everything else easier. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it makes it easier. And I think, you know, they were, it's funny, I was told direct by someone involved was, yeah, the one and done rule negotiation was like, NBA doesn't want this. NBPA doesn't really want this. So why is this a conversation? Well, neither one wanted to be the one to say like, hey, we don't want this because then they look like the bad guy. But I think the NBA's main goal was let's increase some of this parity and let's make sure we are not, um, Getting into a world where, hey, if you're one of the most, uh, you know, richest teams in the league, for lack of a better term, and you are in a big market, you can just outspend everybody by a level that the playing field just is is vast and separated. It starts to look a little bit like, yeah, we have a cap, but what difference does it make if you can just keep adding salary and keep adding salary? So I think that was their goal. I think the MBPA's goal was, all right, we can work with you within that. But what we want to do is if you're going to cap those top teams on how much they can spend, it can't be that that just goes away. We need to push it back into the market somewhere because their end goal is now with the addition of a third two-way spot, they're going to have up to 540 guys in the league at a time. And it's we got to take care of 500 plus players. It's not just about LeBron James and Steph Curry and the guys who make 40, 50 million a year. We got to take care of all the way down. And I think that's some of the stuff that they, they, they wanted. And I think in a lot of ways, they came to some pretty good agreements on that stuff where it is, all right, Hey, we're going to give here, but you give here and that rebalances. And we'll see how that rebalances the league ultimately in the end. Draymond was very upset. He tweeted that the players got <laughs> screwed. He said, I don't understand how we are the driving labor of this entire system and we end up you know, getting the short end of the stick. 
what do you think if you had to guess because i'm sure you know there's a lot of things that he could have issue with what what do you think is there any one thing or a couple of things that would make him feel this way or have other players feel this way yeah i think there's a few things with that i think the first was that was probably an immediate reaction because the first handful of things that came out were wow this doesn't look great for the players it was kind of that was like the Saturday reporting. When we got into Sunday's reporting, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. They can invest in NBA teams and WNBA teams. They're broadening what they can be corporate partners on and those sort of things. And then when you saw a lot of those changes, like, all right, this makes a lot more sense. I don't presume to know what details Draymond Green had and didn't have. I can tell you, I know I've talked to people on both the player side and the team side. And they don't have all the details yet because this is – kind of agreed to in principle and they're still hammering stuff out. That's, that's why we don't have, you know, a leaked full term sheet. And it's like every two hours we're getting like, here's another detail because it's kind of, all right, we, we finished it and go. So I'm guessing it was probably a bit of an overreaction to the immediate reporting on it. And I think there's also a, a, this was personal to him because in a lot of ways you could call some of those immediate measures, like the warriors measures of like, Hey, we can't have another warriors come along. Right. And it's funny because, and I keep using them as the example, even the last couple of years, the Clippers have outspent everybody. So I think what we run into in this situation with these guys is they run into a spot where it is, hey, like we want to, you know, I, I, I'm going to spout off, but it's because this is hurting me and my team. And if I resign here, like we're not going to be able to go sign other guys and all these sorts of things. So I kind of get where he's coming from because I think in a sense, he's just trying to take care of him himself and the guys he's most immediate with right now. Do you think that the league does not want dynasties? It's a good question. I I think they welcome dynasties like kind of what the Warriors have been, which is the core of the team was drafted. They were developed by them. They kind of came and grew up together and came into prominence together. And then they've made really smart moves around those guys to kind of supplement them. But if you look at their main guys, because everybody has a, and I don't mean to denigrate like Dante DiVincenzo and Jermichael Green, but every team has guys like that, right? A guy they signed with the mid-level exception, a guy they signed on a minimum contract. But if you're the Warriors, other than Andrew Wiggins, which was shrewd salary slot management by, all right, hey, Kevin Durant's going to Brooklyn. Hey, why don't we make that a sign-and-trade, double sign-and-trade, where we get D'Angelo Russell and we preserve that $30 million salary slot. And then it was, all right, now we're going to move him on to get Andrew Wiggins. But outside of Andrew Wiggins, every single guy in their rotation they drafted and they developed Curry, Thompson, Green, Looney, Poole, uh, Kaminga. Those are all their own draft picks. So I think the league is in a spot where if you do it that way, and I don't, I, I, I hate to say any way of building a roster is the right way. I think there's a million right ways and there's definitely some wrong ways for sure. Um, but if you build it in that way, we're going to give you the ability. You can keep it together. Keep paying all those guys because we're not restricting you on paying those guys and just keep going. So I don't think they're against dynasties. I think what they don't want to see is the, all right, hey, we loaded up in two years and then we kept adding, kept adding, kept adding. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, we've outspent everybody by, you know, $100 million and, you know, we're, we're just kind of 
I think they don't like the Clippers kind of run of let's just keep replacing. And then, all right, Hey, this guy who makes 25, we're going to turn him into a $35 million player and those kind of things. I think that's where it gets really messy for the league and the league doesn't like that kind of team building because then it just looks like the rich get richer. Can you explain how it fundamentally changes how trades are made kind of in the technical way? Sure. Yeah. So from the details we know right now, the, kind of normal everyday trade between two teams that are well under the tax or maybe just at the tax line, that'll pretty much stay the same. You'll have a little bit of a, a range where you can work in. You might be able to trade a $20 million guy and bring in somebody who makes $25 million, and, and that's kind of the range it's always been in. But for these so-called super tax teams, the big thing is they can't take on any additional money in trades if all the reporting proves to be accurate. So what's going to happen for them is if I want to trade a $20 million player, I can only bring in $20 million or less in salary. I don't have that ability to go get somebody else. And that's just going to make things a little bit difficult on them. Now, I mentioned before, smart teams are going to find workarounds. They're going to do things. What we may see end up happening is, okay, that guy who's on our roster makes $20 million. We're going to re-sign him for $30 million. Mostly so now we have a $30 million trade chip. and We can go get that $25 million player or a $30 million player that wouldn't be available to us prior. So that's the kind of roster maneuvering I think you're going to see from some of those teams. It's going to become a lot more about salary slots than essentially the players that are filling them. And that's a, sometimes even me, Mr. Salary Cap is like, that's a, I feel gross thinking of it that way because it's like they're still human beings and they're still players. But at the end of the day, I don't feel too gross because that guy's going to make 25 or 30 million. So, you know, it kind of is what it is. You sign up for that much money, you're probably signing up to maybe be traded. Yeah. What do you, what blockbuster trades for those who, you know, maybe don't know happened recently that would not be allowed in this new CBA? Yeah, and there, there were there's a handful. So the immediate ones that come to mind this year are um, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, because both of those teams, Phoenix and Dallas, would be uh, you know over the super tax or into the super tax, and in that position, they would not have been able to take on money, which both of them did in their trades to to get those guys. Another, uh, you know, if we go back, James Harden to Brooklyn is one, even one from this summer, a team that's not necessarily super expensive, but like Malcolm Brogdon uh, to the Celtics is another one that might not have happened. So I think we're in a position where, yeah, a handful of these these trades um, may not have happened that have happened otherwise. Anything that was even something as kind of low-key, low-end, that nice move, but no one really cares about it. Like even like Mike Mescala to the Celtics right before the trade deadline kind of buzzed, was they brought him in with sending no salary out the other way, um, in, even in or sending very little out the other way and brought him in via an exception. And that becomes a one where that wouldn't have been able to happen. Even a small minor deal like that, that was, hey, we're going to add some bench depth for a playoff run. You wouldn't have been able to do those things. And those are the things where we're, we're going to see teams have to have a different strategy on moving forward. So I don't want to be one of those people who puts on a tinfoil hat, but this is the first thing. <laughs> that came to mind as you said that Kyrie vice president of the MBPA is there any chance that that factored in this new CBA factored in to Kyrie seeing the writing on the wall and saying this is kind of my shot 
to get to another team and therefore as well as Kevin, if those both of those trades weren't going to be possible moving forward? Maybe. I don't know how deep they were into the negotiations at, at that point that all that went down. And I tend to, like, anytime I think I have Kyrie kind of pegged, I realize I'm completely wrong and I don't know anything about the guy. Yeah. Um, he remains, you know, one of the more confusing players in the league to, to me. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way. I just, you know, he's just, there's things I just don't understand with him. So it's, it's certainly possible. I think we, you know, he may have been like, Hey, they're, you know, what I know through negotiations is they're tightening things up. They're going to make it harder on us to figure things out. But I think we're in a position where, yeah, it's probably one of those things where it's, this just was kind of an offshoot. And I, I don't know how much he cared about that. I think it was much more other reasons where he's like, Hey, this Nets thing's going nowhere. I can't get to the Lakers right now, but I still want to get out of here. And then I'll figure out my next move after that. Let's talk about the ramifications, though, because it feels like it's the death of super teams to a degree. Yeah, it's going to be very hard to put together a super team on the fly um, because that and it's already kind of hard anyway with some of the things that have happened with the cap and the like. But it's really I think now your super teams are going to be more. um, Let's use Oklahoma City as an example. They've drafted really well. They've got a bunch of really good young players and they've got flexibility while they're still a quote unquote cheaper team roster wise to add a bunch more talent in as they kind of build this thing up. And then what happens is they'll be able to build all the way up to becoming potentially one of these super tax teams. And that's how you'll build your super team is you draft well, you develop well, you add talent while you're cheap. And now you've got your eight, nine, 10 man roster filled out with a bunch of really good players, a little bit of moves you can make here and there around that, but that's how you'll build your team up. I think the days of teams, Hey, we're clearing the deck, right? We're, we're, we're going all the way down to barely any salary on the books and we're going to go get three max free agents. I think what we've seen, and I think it's a lesson the Lakers have taught teams over the last couple of years is if you don't hit on the exact right three guys and then nail all of your minimum signings after that, because that's essentially all you have left, you're going to struggle because if those guys miss times or miss games rather, all of a sudden you're in a spot where you can't win because you're, you're rolling out guys who are, you know, fringe NBA players for, uh, you know, 25, 30, 40 minutes a night in too many of these games. So I, th- I think that's kind of gone by the wayside already, but I think even more so it's going to be draft, develop, add talent while you're a cheaper team. And that's how you build, build up to, you know, the next kind of dynastic type teams. What about players that are going to be super max eligible and may not be exactly in love with their current situation, it feels like it's a lot more difficult for them to be able to get to another team or force themselves to another team, given how this new CBA is operating. Uh, Do you think that this is one of those situations where star players will end up signing shorter term deals so that they can figure out where they wanna be in free agency? That's a good question. Yeah, this is where I tend to lean to the history of things. Whereas when you put the most possible money in front of a player, they almost always take it. And right, wrong, or indifferent, and I tend to be a little bit more indifferent on it. I don't mind when a player takes a max contract and then turns and says, two years in, I don't really want to be here, trade me. And why I'm indifferent about it is teams do it all the time. 
teams sign guys and then they're a year into a deal like eh, it's not really working out we're gonna move them and i don't know why collectively as you know media and fans of of the nba we've decided that's okay but when a player tries to do it it's like hey you signed a contract it's, well, so did the team you know i also wouldn't have had a problem if the nba and there's been no reporting of this in the new cba yet we'll see if it's something that comes out later put in more restrictions around a trade. Whereas, hey, you sign a Supermax, you're not trade eligible for three seasons of it. And you got to play out more than half of that contract. Maybe that is in there. I don't know. I know that was one of the, you said earlier, there were hundreds of proposals. I know for sure that was one of them that was on the table. But to answer your question is, I tend to think when players really want to be somewhere, They'll make it happen, especially if that team really wants them to be there. There's ways to make it happen. One of the cool changes that they got rid of um, that came out just in the last couple of days is the restrictions on how many designated players. Those are tend to be like the super max guys. It used to be you can only have like two of one type on your team and two of another type and only one could be acquired by a trade. They've eliminated all that. So they basically said, hey, you want to get, you know, 10 Supermax guys somehow on your team, good, good luck. Now we're going to limit you because you're not going to be able to pay, you know, more and add more talent around them, but, you know, go nuts. So I think we'll still see guys. I think if anything causes short-term contracts, yeah. it's going to be every player knows the meteorite steals coming. And what may come out of that is, all right, we're going into a position where I'm better off signing a two- or three-year deal here re-signing in the summer of 2025, even though they put cap smoothing in. So we're not going to see one of these 2016 cap spikes like we saw previous. So I think that changes things a little bit there, but we may see some guys play that kind of game.